Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading can be found on page 1149, and that's Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning to read at verse 25. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and in his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honourably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, She is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, I won't lie, I was feeling a bit nervous before coming up here this evening. And after Ben did such a good job, I'm wondering why I'm here at all. I'm also deeply aware that there's just so much in this passage. I've really felt that as I've been preparing for the sermon. And we probably do need a a conference where we can unpack this passage and just really get into the nitty-gritty of it all. So I'm aware of the inadequacies of one sermon on such a big subject, really. Um, But God is with us, and this is his word. 
and that's our confidence. And so let's come to him and ask him to be with us now as we hear from him and hear his word. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our good, loving Father. Thank you that you gave your only Son to die for us in our place so we could be cleansed from our sin and belong to you and be your children. Please will you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and find our joy in him so that we would live for him in this life. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm glad you're still here. None of you snuck out while, <laughs> while our heads were down and our eyes were closed. Um, I was chatting with Matt Holden yesterday, and he was saying to me, Justin, I might just get up during your sermon and walk out. And I thought, thanks, Matt. Um, but I'm glad you're all here. I, I've done a few game drives, and so I'm quite good at spotting elephants. Although you don't really need to be that good at spotting an elephant. They're quite easy to spot. Um, but let's spot the elephant in the room, shall we? It's there in verse 38 and verse 40. I mean, Matt went there straight away. So thanks, Matt. Um, Paul says, He who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. Paul says this a few times in verse 7, 26, 32, 35 and 40, that singleness is good. It is better. And the person who is single is happier, literally blessed. How do you hear what Paul is saying in these verses? So we may hear him saying that if you want to be better, a more godly Christian, more committed and more effective as a Christian, well, then you must be single. That's what we often hear, right? How do you feel when you hear these verses read? You might feel guilty. Or maybe you think you made the wrong decision getting married. And so you look back, especially when marriage is hard, and you think, well, maybe I would have been happier. Maybe I would have been a better Christian or a more godly Christian if I stayed single. Maybe you feel guilty because... Well, you want to be effective as a Christian, but you also really want to be married. Maybe you feel dismissive. The singleness doesn't feel like a good gift from a good and kind father, but rather like you've been sentenced to solitary confinement. Maybe you dismiss what Paul is saying, because although it's clear that he seems to think that singleness is better, other Christians, older Christians, or even our church, well, they clearly think that marriage is better. And maybe it's your apprehension from hearing from me this evening that you think, well, he probably thinks that marriage is better because he is married. Well, this evening, my hope and my prayer is that whatever our circumstances, we would find our joy in Christ. And that we would know that we are free to be devoted to him, whatever our circumstances. And doing that, we would be better able to love and care for one another. 
See, in this passage, we need to think about marriage and singleness rightly, whatever our circumstances are. Because we need to know what it means to be married or single, not only for ourselves, but also for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to think about their situation correctly so we can love and support them. But also our circumstances change. You may get married one day if you are single now. And if you are married, it's likely that at least one of you will be single again. And so let's look at our first point. Freedom to remain. Verse 25 to 31. Freedom to remain. We read in verse 26, Because of the present crisis, I, Paul, think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Paul is saying that we are free to stay in our circumstances because this world is troublesome and temporary. This world is troublesome and temporary. He starts off by saying, well, you can see it there. He says, it is good for a man to remain as he is. In chapter 7, verse 1, he quotes from the Corinthians about what they thought was good. It reads there, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What the Corinthian Christians and Paul meant by that word good were worlds apart. The worlds apart. You see, the Corinthians were thinking about what was morally good. They thought that they needed to change their circumstances to be more godly, to be better, to be more committed to the Lord. And in order to achieve this, they changed what God said about marriage and singleness and about sex. Some people in the church were sexually abstinent, even though they were married. Others thought that divorcing or leaving a non-Christian spouse meant that it was a good way to, to secure serving the Lord. And it led to the issue at hand in verse 25. Should anyone get married? Should anyone get married? What Paul meant by that word good, though, is that we are free to act with wisdom in how we serve the Lord. We are free to act with wisdom in how we serve the Lord. You see, for Paul, being or neither marriage nor singleness makes you morally better or more godly as a Christian. That's why he says in verse 28, if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. And why in verse 25, about this whole issue, he says, I have no command from the Lord. He is not giving us law, as Johnny pointed out to us a few weeks ago. He is giving us wisdom. How do we live in a way that serves the Lord in light of the circumstances and in light of the world that we live in? See, for Paul, it is good to live out being a Christian in the circumstances you are in. And in verse 26, he's reiterating what he has already said in verse 1 and 20 and 24. God has called us to be his holy people. God has made us godly. We're told this in chapter 6, verse 11, and verse 19 to 20. He says there, you were washed 
It's the verses that Matt read for us. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, God has washed us clean from sin through faith in the death of Jesus on the cross and in giving us his Holy Spirit. He's cleansed us. He's made us his own. And therefore, it is good to stay in the circumstances we find ourselves because of who we are and in understanding what this world is like. We belong to the Lord, and this world is troublesome and temporary. Again, look at verse 26 and verse 28. Paul says that because of the present crisis, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. But those who marry, verse 28, will face many troubles in this life, and I will spare you this. There was a contemporary crisis that this church was facing, these Christians were facing. And there are a few things for what Paul could mean by this present crisis. It could have been this ungodly situation that they were in, the the internal conflict and ungodliness that was occurring in the church, that they were being sexually promiscuous, that they were having wrong ideas about sex and marriage and singleness. It could have been that there was social pressure from outside the church, we know that um, Emperor Claudius, he, he made Corinth, um, or he established there an imperial cult. And so there was increasing pressure for people and Christians to worship the emperor. Another option is that it could have been that there were food shortages. There was a famine at the time. And this led to rising costs and inflation, financial instability and insecurity. Now, whether it was one of those things or all of those things together, it meant that this world is troublesome, and these, fa- these Christians were facing troublesome times. And so it's good to stay in the situation you're in. But Paul also goes on to say that these troubles are indicative that the world is temporary. See, he goes on to explain in verse 29, what I mean is that the time is short. And he qualifies this in verse 31, where he says, for this world in its present form is passing away. This world is temporary. Our lives are short. But also, as Christians, we believe that the Lord is going to return soon. We live in what the Bible calls the last days. We're waiting for Jesus to return. And when he does, he will make this world new and perfect, and we will be with him. You see, the stuff of this life, marriage and family and singleness and funerals and happy wedding days and job opportunities, well, they're not ultimate, and they don't last. The circumstances that the Corinthians faced sound so contemporary, don't they? Difficulties inside the church. Social pressure from outside. Food security, financial instability. 
See, Paul is speaking here to this, the Corinthians and to us as an older Christian, as it were, giving advice about how we're to think about being engaged in marriage and singleness. Think about the COVID that happened recently, and you were chatting to an older Christian. How would they help you think through your circumstances in that time? Well, you can imagine them saying to you, you might want to hold off marriage. Don't break off your engagement, but stay as you are. Your first year of marriage will be hard, particularly if you're stuck in the same flat together for who knows how long. It might not be good for you. Or to a single person, maybe just wait it out. You see, Paul is not coming with law. He's coming with wisdom to help us think through the fact that we're free in Christ and we can work out how to think about our circumstances in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. See, a short stay somewhere is always a reason not to make big changes. Paul is saying, or what he is saying is something like, if you are away on staying in an Airbnb, it wouldn't be very wise to make big changes to the place you're staying in. And so similarly for yourselves, don't make big changes in your life while you're facing these current pressures and knowing that the time is short. See, you might be here and you're not a Christian and you think, well, this is really odd that Christians would even be wondering about whether they should marry or not because surely the normal thing is to just do what you want. The difference is that Paul is showing us that this world is not all there is. Christians are living for a perfect new world where we will be with Jesus forever. And there is only one way to be there. It's through trusting in his death on the cross that cleanses us from our sin. For us as Christians, these verses ask us to question what is ultimate for us. What is ultimate for, in our, for us in our lives now? See, we may be in very different places. We might be happily married. Or we might be happily single. We might be unhappily married or unhappily single. But whatever we are feeling about our circumstances, we need to ask to what extent is our happiness or our unhappiness driven by the view that our circumstances in this world will ultimately satisfy us. I don't think that the right thing to do is to focus on the time being short. See, how do we deal with this question that we feel this is ultimate, that I have to be married or I have to be single to be ultimately fulfilled now. Well, it's not just that the time is short. Rather, we're to focus on Jesus. You see, we're waiting for Him. And whatever our answer is to that question, we might need to reflect on the fact that one day we will be married to Christ. That's what Ben was saying the ultimate marriage that we are waiting for, the ultimate marriage that He made us for, that He has saved us for and cleansed us for. Now, this is not to say that we must disregard or dismiss one another's circumstances. 
We mustn't just say, don't worry, Jesus is going to be back soon. We must watch that we don't talk about marriage or singleness as ultimate, as family. We need to think about where we find fulfillment. We are his people. We are waiting for him. So secondly, let's look at the fact that we have freedom for undivided devotion. Freedom for undivided devotion. In verse 32 and verse 35, read them with me. Paul says there, I would like you to be free from concern, literally anxieties. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you or literally restrain you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. We are free to be for undivided devotion to Him. In a world that is troublesome and temporary, it is better for Christians to stay single so that they would be undivided in their devotion to Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. And you might be asking, well, shouldn't we all be devoted to Jesus? The answer is yes. Paul has told us we are not our own. We are bought at a price, and therefore we're to honor God with our bodies. We are all to be devoted to him. I want us to see, though, that being single for undivided devotion to the Lord is not about being more godly or holy. We've already begun to see that this is what God has made us holy for. He's cleansed us through Christ's death so that we would be holy in the circumstances that we find ourselves. Paul is saying that our devotion to the Lord is not qualitatively better. There's not a qualitative difference in our love and our service to the Lord if we're single or if we're married. And neither do I think that undivided devotion means a single person necessarily has more capacity or time or energy to serve the Lord. Being able to do more for the Lord does not mean better or more godly service. See, all things being equal, a single person may have more time or energy or finances or whatever it may be. But things are not equal, are they? Things are not equal. There is a vast difference between someone who is young and in their 20s and who's studying and single with an older lady who's lost their spouse and who's struggling with sadness, coming to terms with the practicalities of dealing with their their husband not there and having to look after grandchildren. And even as a single person, you might struggle with health issues. I have a friend who has consistently struggled with health issues. That's meant that she's not been able to serve the Lord in the way that she's liked because she's been in bed for months on end. Being single for undivided devotion to the Lord is about Paul's concern for one's good. It's about Paul's concern for one's good. See, Paul is not saying that single people don't have any concerns or stresses in life or any anxieties. But he is saying that marriage brings particular anxieties. And there's two aspects to this. 
The first is what Paul has described as many troubles in this life. We saw this earlier. The kinds of things that keep you up at night. The second kind of anxiety is wanting to please two people, one's spouse and the Lord. And this is specifically what Paul is focusing on here in verse 32 to 34. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. See, the single person is only anxious about serving the Lord. You don't have the added stress of a spouse or kids keeping you up at night. That's not to say that nothing keeps you up at night, but you don't have those things. And in verse 35, Paul says, I say this not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. The word restrict means, it literally means to entrap or to put a noose around your neck. Something that will choke you to death. You see, he doesn't want us to think that singleness is inherently more godly or better and so feel that we've been sentenced or that we are choking to death, worrying about whether we should be single or not and whether that's going to affect our devotion to the Lord or not. Nor are we meant to think that being married is less godly that we've been sentenced to a less godly life and that our service to the Lord is substandard because we're married. For married people to serve their families is godly. But being married means that you have to worry about pleasing Jesus and your spouse. Singleness means you have to worry about what makes Jesus happy. And it's a conflict of Working for two bosses, I, I don't know if you've had that tension before where you've been working two part-time jobs and you, you feel pulled and t torn because you have to be there to serve one person and be, you know, be down the, the road the next or, or much later on to serve the other. It's not wrong, it's just hard in a particular way. One of the key ways I think this applies is in how we think about singleness and marriage in our, in, our, in our church and how we speak about singleness and marriage with one another. You see, we should all be encouraging one another to be devoted to the Lord and serve Him. Do we point one another to the Lord or do we Try and help one another be content with our situations or our different situations by pointing out what's hard about singleness or marriage rather than to him, rather than the fact that we are his and that he is coming back soon. And God's answer to help us in the face of our anxieties, whether we're single or married, in this life now is, well, that there is a relationship that supersedes our single, whether we're single or married. It's that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
God's answer for us now as his people to help us as we struggle with the difficulties of being single or married is that we are family in Christ. And one of the joys that I've had in being here at Christ Church Forward is seeing how you love one another's family and how single people are cared for by those who are married and vice versa. And particularly, let me thank you for having students over for lunch on a Sunday. Especially those of you who are married. It's been a wonderful thing to see and how you've looked to love and support one another and get to know one another and encourage one another. Paul is telling us these things not to restrict us. Not to restrict us. And so lastly, I want us to see that we also have freedom to decide. We have freedom to decide. Let's read verse 38 and the, to the first part of verse 40. Paul says, So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies... She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. We are free to decide whether or not to stay single or marry someone of the opposite sex. We are free to decide in different situations and in different ways. See, in these verses, Paul is sketching out four different kinds of scenarios about different people who make their decisions differently. In the first scenario, we see someone who's engaged. Or maybe they're just friends, or maybe they're going out or dating. It would maybe be a contemporary way of thinking about it. And in this situation, attraction is rising, sexual tension is rising. And one or both might be worrying about how they're treating the other person how they're treating their Christian brother or sister. And Paul's response is to say, well, get married. It's not a bad thing to do. You should. It's a good idea. Although if you are too young to get married and you can't, well, then you should flee sin. In the second scenario, he's talking about someone who's engaged but decides not to get married. It's not an immediate concern. It's not something they need to worry about. They've taken time to work through the decision. And it's the right decision. You see, the one person feels they ought to, and the other ponders it over a long period of time. Well, the third situation is that someone is married, and so there's no option for them. And the fourth is a woman who is a widow, or at least she might even be someone who's planning ahead. She's married at the moment, and she's thinking about, well, what am I going to do when my husband dies? Because in this context, a wife was reliant on her husband. They had no social status or little social status if her husband died. And so Paul's point is, well, make sure that they're a believer. And this is in contrast to what Paul says in 1 Timothy with younger widows. Well, there he says they should get married. 
But here he says that it's better if they stay single. How do you work out whether you should get married or not? Well, you're free to decide. Now, I know it's not just, it doesn't just come down to that. But there's a freedom here. We're free to work through these things with wisdom as we weigh up who we are in Christ and what is the nature of our circumstances around us. When I was younger, I I'd made up my mind that I wasn't going to get married until I was 30. And then I met Carmen, and my mind changed. I felt like I should marry her. And I think that's the sense of what Paul is saying here. He's not restricting us. This isn't law. There is freedom in Christ. And so how are we to work out whether we should stay single or married? Well, quite simply, we're to love the Lord. We're not to see marriage or singleness as ultimate. We're to know that we're part of a family in Christ, that we have relationships that are satisfying and good and helpful and where we love and support one another. And as we weigh these things up, then we can, we can decide whether we should marry or not. You may feel it's the right thing to do. You may feel it's not the right time. But all of us are to think about our devotion to the Lord. We're all to weigh up whether we get married or single, what does that mean for our serving the Lord? Not because it means that we are more holy. Not because it means that we'll be more committed or more godly. But it's about whether we're people of this world or not. Do we see ourselves as belonging to this world or are we waiting for the Lord to come back and longing for the day that we will be with him and his people forever. You might be asking yourself, well, Justin, that's all great, but what if I'm not free to decide? Because you might be sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't actually have the freedom to decide to get married or not. Because maybe you're someone who's same-sex attracted and and you're, you're wanting to be faithful to the Lord and serve Him in your singleness, but it's hard. Well, your sacrifice and your self-control is a model to us. Because as Christians, we do need to ask ourselves, to what extent is Jesus' return shaping the way that I live now? And those of our brothers and sisters who are deciding to stay single, and not go with the, the, the tune of the day that says we can change what God says about marriage or singleness or sexuality to make it easier to obey Him. Well, we must commend them and we must support them and love them. And to you, I'd want to say, the Lord is in control. He has placed you in the circumstances that you are in. And we're to look to him and rely on him and rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ and rely on us to support one another and help one another. We're free in Christ. And so let's look to him now for strength and let's pray as we end.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from sin and death and to save us from this world so that we could live for you and wait for your Son to save us on the last day so that we will be with him forever. We pray, please give us wisdom to know how to serve you now. And we pray that you'd help us as a church to better love and support one another, whatever our circumstances. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.